0: Hi everyone, hope that you're doing well wherever you may be in the world. So like many of you recently, I've been spending a good deal of time indoors. Which hasn't all been bad because it's given me time to read. And one of the subjects I've had the opportunity to study further is the ancient collection of correspondence known as the Amarna letters. Honestly, going through these documents is actually a lot of fun. They reveal a lot about the events occurring during the Late Bronze Age, as well as the rulers involved in certain aspects of their personalities. So for those of you who may not be familiar with them, the Amarna letters are a collection of correspondence spanning the reigns of pharaohs Amenhotep III, Akhenaten, and the first year or so of Tutankhamun, the young king we often affectionately refer to as King Tut. Though Egyptologists and Assyriologists often disagree, according to a more recent revision, the dates of these letters would likely be between 1391 to 1353 BCE. They were discovered amongst the ruins of Pharaoh Akhenaten's capital of Akhetaten, known today as Tel el-Amarna. Consisting of 382 cuneiform tablets written in variations of Akkadian, the lingua franca of the day, The Amarna letters are a collection of mostly diplomatic and international correspondence between the pharaoh and his vassals, foreign dignitaries, and, my favorites of all, the kings of Babylonia, Assyria, the Kingdom of the Mitanni, and the Hittite Empire. By the 14th century BCE, the empire of Egypt's 18th dynasty dominated Canaan and other parts of the Levant, up to the borders of the Hurrian Kingdom of the Mitanni an area which today would be around northwestern Syria and perhaps parts of northern Lebanon. Egypt at the time was on good terms with most of the great powers of the region, the Mitanni, Assyrian, and Babylonian kingdoms. The exception may have been the land of Hatti in central Anatolia, which was the home base of the Hittite Empire. Their rise was causing some turbulence between the pharaoh and his subjects in the Levant. Most of the Amarna letters are between the pharaoh and his commissioners, vassals, and mayors who presided over the various Canaanite city-states on his behalf. These letters are amazing and really give us a wealth of knowledge along with some of the minute details of what was going on in Egypt, the Levant, and other parts of the ancient Near East during the latter part of the Bronze Age. So, let's first learn a bit more about the letters themselves and then have some fun reading their contents. As I mentioned before, the Amarna letters are clay tablets which were all written in cuneiform script and overwhelmingly in some form of Akkadian, though a few tablets also appear in Hurrian and Hittite, which were the languages of the Mitanni and Hittite empire, respectively. I also say some form of Akkadian because the dialect used in the letters is by no means uniform. While those tablets that originated in Mesopotamia, namely Babylonia and Assyria, were written in standard, you could say, proper Akkadian. Those that came from other areas, especially the Levant, were often a hybrid of Canaanite and Akkadian languages. Other letters are a mix of Akkadian and Hittite, or Akkadian with some Hurrian mixed in. As you might have guessed, scribes at el-Amarna had to have been conversant in several languages in order to do their jobs well. The first set of letters that we'll examine are between the pharaoh Amenhotep III and the Kassite king of Babylon, Kadashman Enlil I. Kadashman Enlil, the king of Carduniash, which was what Kassite Babylon was called at the time, writes to the pharaoh that he had no reliable information with regard to the well-being of his sister, who had previously been sent to Egypt as a bride for the pharaoh. Thus, he was not about to fulfill the pharaoh's request that he send yet another princess, this time his daughter, for marriage as well. I guess Amenhotep III really liked Babylonian women. A translation of Amenhotep III's reply is as follows. Say to Kadashmen Enlil, the king of Carduniash, my brother, on behalf of Amenhotep III, the great king, the king of Egypt, your brother. All is well with me. May it be well with you. May it also be very well with your household, your wives, with your children, and with your magnates, your horses, your chariots, and throughout your lands. It is well with me. It is well with my household, with my wives, with my children, with my magnates, my horses, my chariots, and numerous troops. In my lands, it is very well. Now, I have received word which you sent to me regarding her, which said, Herewith you request my daughter as your wife, while my sister, whom my father gave to you, is there with you. Nobody has seen her. Is she dead or alive? These were the very words you sent to me on your tablet. Did you ever send a dignitary who knows your sister, who could speak with her and identify her? So, Let him speak with her. The men whom you sent are nobodies. One was an ass-herder from some land. There is not one among them that knows her, who was close to your father, who could identify her. Why will you not send a dignitary who will speak the truth to you about the welfare of your sister who is here? Then you may believe the one who enters to see her quarters and her relationship with the king." So, let's take a closer look at this letter. After the pleasantries and salutations, the letter gets to the heart of the matter. Basically, we learn that in the past, Amenhotep III had received Kadashman Enlil's sister as a bride. And now, the pharaoh had requested another bride-to-be. This time, Kadashman Enlil's own daughter. However, we learn from this letter that the Babylonian king is quite hesitant to comply because he doesn't know the welfare of his sister. Was she well or even alive? Amenhotep seems to have been insulted due to 1. the accusation that the Babylonian princess, one of his wives, would have been mistreated and 2. that the envoys sent to recognize and confirm her well-being were not notable dignitaries, but rather commoners. How would commoners, even if they were Babylonians, been able to have recognized her? The pharaoh then remarks that Kadashman Enlil would be better served by dignitaries who could actually recognize his sister and properly report back to him that she's being treated well in Egypt. In another letter between the two, it seems that the issue of Kadashman Enlil's missing sister has been resolved, and now he's ready to send his daughter, who has come of age, to be another one of the pharaoh's wives. However, the Babylonian king complains about Amenhotep's lack of goodwill shown towards both himself and his kingdom, and basically accuses him of being cheap. After the standard pleasantries and salutations, which are pretty much identical to that of the last letter, Gadashman Enlil tells Amenhotep As for my daughter, the girl whom you requested for marriage, she has matured into a marriageable woman. Send an entourage and take her. Previously." My father would send an envoy to you, and you would not detain him for long. You would send him off in a timely fashion, and my father would deliver a beautiful goodwill gift. But when it was I who sent you an envoy, you detained him for six years. In those six years, you have merely sent as a goodwill gift 30 minas of gold that looks like silver. When you arranged a great Isinu festival, your envoy did not send the word to come eat and drink nor did you send my gift for the festival you have sent me these 30 minas of gold my gift is not equivalent to what i have given you every year so we learned in the last two letters that Amenhotep the third had possibly received two babylonian princesses as brides however in a third letter it looks like Kadashmin Enlil feels that the pharaoh should return the favor by sending him an Egyptian princess, to which Amenhotep must have told him in a previous letter that giving away their daughters to foreigners is just not something that the Egyptians did. Kadashman Enlil, who seems pretty angry and a bit desperate, writes the following in another letter. Moreover, you, my brother, when I wrote to you about marrying your daughter, You wrote to me, saying, Never has a daughter of the king of Egypt been given to anyone. Why is she not given? You are king. You do as you please. If you were to give her, who would say anything? When they told me this, I wrote to my brother thus, saying, Surely beautiful women, adult daughters, are available. Send me one beautiful woman, as if she were your daughter. Who would say, she is not the king's daughter? But you, in accord with your refusal, did not send me anyone. Did you not seek brotherhood and friendship when you wrote to me about marriage so that we might become close relations to each other? And I myself, for this very same reason, for brotherhood and friendship, wrote to you about marriage in order that we might become close relations to each other. Why has my brother not sent me one woman? And as to the gold I wrote to you about, send as much as is available, a great quantity, before your messenger comes to me. Now, quickly, during this summer, send it to me so I can accomplish the project I have undertaken. If you send me the gold I wrote to you about this summer, I shall give you my daughter. So you do me a favor and send me as much gold as you can. So as we can see by these letters, State Correspondence was not always about Affairs of State. However, the Amarna letters we have that were written by Assyrian kings are all business. They're also one of the few examples where the Assyrian dialect of Akkadian is used. The following letter is one of my favorites because it's written by a ruler who I believe was one of the lesser-known, more underrated kings of the Bronze Age. Ashur-Ubalit I of Assyria At the time, probably around 1350 or 1340 BCE, Assyria, the new kid on the block, had not only become independent of its Mitanni overlords, but had surpassed them in power as well. Ashur-Ubalit's letter introducing himself to the unnamed Egyptian pharaoh, probably Akhenaten, is as follows. To the king of Egypt, say, Thus says Ashur-Ubalit, king of Assyria, May it be well with you, your household, your land, your chariots, and your troops. I have sent my envoy to you, to see you and to see your land. I have entered into communication with you today, as up to this time, my forefathers never entered into communication. I have had sent to you a fine chariot and a pear, and a jewel of real lapis lazuli, as presents to you. Do not detain my messenger, who I have sent to you. He is to see you, and come back. Let him be acquainted with you, and your land, and then let him come back. Of all of the 382 known Amarna letters, the most, about 70, come from a certain Rib Hadda, the mayor of Gubla, better known to us as Byblos. Even at that time, Egypt and Byblos had an extremely long and prosperous relationship of over 1,000 years. Most of Rib Hadda's letters to pharaohs Amenhotep III and later Akhenaten essentially contain the same message. Byblos is always in peril and in constant need of royal support, which at least according to his letters, never really seems to come. Ribhada's main nemesis seems to have been a certain Abdi Ashurta of the somewhat lawless and backwater state of Amuru. Abdi Ashurta and his sons harass Byblos and other cities by recruiting people known as the Hapiru, also known as Habiru. The term Hapiru or Habiru is believed by many scholars to be the origin of the word. Hebrew. In Ribhada's time, it was a general term designated for people who had been uprooted from their lands and, having no place to really call their own, lived on the fringes of society. Though they had a reputation for being outlaws, many of them were simply day laborers or mercenaries. They were also easy and willing recruits for Abdi Asherta, since he promised them freedom if they revolted against the Pharaoh. Of course, this is what Ribhada would write to the Pharaoh. Abdi-Ashirta and later Aziru, his son, would write their own letters, pleading their innocence and affirming their loyalty to the crown. In reality, both were simply looking out for themselves. Sometime after Abdi-Ashirta's death, Aziru took over his operations and switched sides to become a vassal of the Hittite king. But now... Let's take a closer look at the situation by reading one of Ribhada's many letters to Amenhotep III. Ribhada speaks to his Lord, King of all lands, Great King, King of battle. May the Lady of Byblos grant power to my Lord. At the feet of my Lord, my son, sevenfold, seven times I fall. May the Lord King know that Byblos, faithful maidservant of the pharaoh since the days of his ancestors, is safe. But now, the king has let go his faithful city from his hand. May the king look up to the tablets of his father's house to check whether the ruler who is in Byblos has not always been a faithful servant. Do not neglect your servant. For the war of the Hapiru against me is severe. And, by the gods of your land... Our sons and daughters are finished. All my towns that are in the mountains or on the seacoast have joined the Hapiru. Only Byblos, together with two towns, is left to me. But now, Abdiyashurta has taken Shigata for himself. And he said to the men of Amiya, Kill your prince, then you will be like us and you will be at peace. And they acted in accord with his words and became like Hapiru. Moreover, now Abdiyashurta has written to the troops, Assemble in the temple of Ninurta, and we shall fall upon Byblos, for there is no one who will save it from our hand. Then we shall drive out the mayors from within the lands, and all the lands will join the Hapiru, and our sons and daughters will be at peace forever. Even if the king were to come forth, Since all the lands are hostile to him, what could he do to us? Thus they made an oath between themselves, and I am very, very afraid. For there is no one who will save me from their hands. Like a bird that is placed inside a cage, just so am I in Byblos. Why do you neglect your land? I have written like this to the palace, but my words are not heard. May the king heed the words of his servant. And may he grant his servant provisions and sustain his servant, so that I may guard his faithful city, together with Our Lady, our Goddess, for you. Unfortunately, help from the Pharaoh never arrived, and in despair, Ribhada went to Beirut with the hope of forging an alliance with that city's mayor. However, while he was there, his brother, Ili Rapi, seized control of Byblos and pledged his own loyalty to the pharaoh. Even from Beirut, Ribhada pleaded to the pharaoh to help him to recover his beloved city, but all in vain. Not too long after this, Ribhada, who was now in exile, died in Beirut. In one of his last letters to the pharaoh, in this case Akhenaten, he wrote the following. Ribhada speaks to his lord, king of all lands, great king, king of battle. May the Lady of Byblos grant power to my Lord. At the feet of my Lord, my son, sevenfold, seven times I fall. I wrote repeatedly for garrison troops, but they were not provided, and the King, my Lord, did not heed the words of his servant. And I sent my messenger to the palace, but he returned empty-handed. He had no garrison troops. Then the men of my household seeing that no silver had been provided, wronged me. They treated my brother like one of the mayors, and they despised me. When my brother saw that my messenger had come forth empty-handed, there being no garrison troops with him, he despised me. Thus, he committed a crime, and expelled me from the city. May the king, my lord, not be neglectful about this dog's deed. Now... I am not able to come to the land of Egypt myself. I am old, and a terrible sickness afflicts my body. Thus, I cannot enter before the king, my lord. So now I have sent my son, servant of the king, my lord, before the king, my lord. And may my lord know that I would die for him. When I was in the city, I guarded it for my lord, and my heart being devoted to the king, My lord, I would not give the city to the sons of Abdi Ashurta. May the king, my lord, not neglect the city. Byblos is his loyal city. There is much property of the king within it, the wealth of our forefathers. If the king neglects the city, all the cities of Canaan will no longer be his. May the king not neglect this matter. I think it's pretty obvious that Ribhada died a loyal but broken man. It also seems that the Egyptian government couldn't care less as to who presided over Byblos as long as it was one who was loyal to the Pharaoh. It made no difference if it was Ribhada or his brother. Their conflict was a family one and didn't necessarily concern the Egyptian government as long as whoever watched over Byblos was loyal to the Pharaoh and managed his interests there. As for Ashurta, he was eventually captured by the Egyptians in the city of Sumur, and later released and sent back to Amuru, where he was murdered, possibly by the Egyptians, or perhaps by one of his many rivals. There's no record indicating exactly who it was. His son Aziru succeeded him as leader of Amuru, and eventually established a kingdom there. Though on the surface he declared himself to be a vassal of the pharaoh, He was actually negotiating a treaty with the Hittites and eventually formally switched sides to join them. Thus, Amuru became a vassal of the Hittite Empire, with the Ziru left formally in charge. The full story is really fascinating and something I'll cover in another program. Rivalries between cities and their respective mayors is a common theme in the Amarna letters. Mayors would accuse others of disloyalty and felonies against the Egyptian state, while maintaining their own innocence and reaffirming their desire to serve the Pharaoh. One interesting rivalry was between the Canaanite cities of Shechem and Jerusalem. Lub'ayu, the mayor of Shechem, was accused by his peers of undermining the Pharaoh's interests by seizing land not belonging to him and cheating when it came to paying his fair share of tribute, accusations that he denies in the following letter. To the king, my lord and my son, Message of Lubayu, your servant, and the dust of your treading. At the feet of the king, my lord and my son, Sevenfold, seven times I fall. I have heard the words that the king wrote to me. And who am I that the king should lose his land on account of me? Look, I am a loyal servant of the king. I have not transgressed, nor have I committed fault and I have not withheld my tribute, nor have I withheld any request of my commissioner. Another matter. The king sent for my son. I did not know that my son was carrying on with the Hapiru. I herewith hand him over. Furthermore, even if the king sent for my wife, heaven forbid that I should withhold her. Even if the king wrote to me, Put a bronze dagger in your heart and die. Heaven forbid that I should not execute the king's command. Abdiepah, the mayor of Jerusalem, also complains to the pharaoh about how he's been wronged by his rivals. But in his letter, he asks for aid against them and points out that other cities who have in the past received such help are stable and at peace. And may the king take thought for his land. Look at the lands of Gezer, of Ashkelon, and of Lachish. They, meaning Egyptian troops or the pharaoh's men, provided them with food, oil, and whatever else they need. May the king also take thought for the archers, and may he send the archers against the men who commit crimes against the king, my lord. If this year there are archers, then the lands and the mayors will belong to the king, my lord. But if there are no archers, the king will have no lands and no mayors. He then takes a swipe at Shechem's mayor, Labayu. Look at this deed. The deed of the sons of Labayu, who have given the land of the king to the Hapiru. There are many other letters like these. Well over 300 in fact, and perhaps we can take a look at them another time. Thanks so much for stopping by and listening to the program, I really appreciate it. I hope you learned something, and if you did, please subscribe, because there's a lot more content like this coming up. You can also follow History with Psy on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, and of course, on the main YouTube channel. Thanks again, and I'll catch you in the next episode. Take care, and stay safe.